this movie is fabulous. The sets were so real, the actors really wanted their parts. Oh yes. Oh! Oh god, yes. Welcome back to Is It Still Good? The show with two grown-up film students who hate grown-up. I'm Bear Kennedy in Chicago. Joining me today, as always... Andrew Carter in Los Angeles, and we have a very special guest. Uh, we have Sasha Patpatia, also in Los Angeles. Where in Los Angeles are you actually, Sasha? Right now, physically, Santa Monica in okay. the recording studio I work in. That sounded okay. way It's actually just a writing studio. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime you say studio, it just, it sounds cool. Like, I know. Amazing. Like, whenever people used to say, like, I live in a studio, I used to be like, what? Ooh. But then you see a studio apartment and you're like, ooh, no, not for me. <laughs> yeah, no fridge, no, thank you. Yeah, but anyway, so today we are discussing um, the 2001 cult classic. It is a cult classic, uh, Josie and the Pussycats. And the reason that we have Sasha on is because this film is very near and dear to her heart. So before Bear and I get into uh, our history with it, uh, or lack thereof, uh, spoiler alert, uh, Sasha, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, your history with it and why you uh, were so adamant about wanting to talk about this particular film? Would love to. Growing up, I wanted to be a rock star. I'm 30 years old. I still want to be a rock star. <laughs> I just never going to die. And that movie came out and it was exactly how I envisioned my life to be. Just this cool punk rock chick with living with my two best friends, fucking get famous, solve a world problem, and then play a stadium rock show. <laughs> solve a world problem. <laughs> yeah, no big deal. Exactly. That, that was all on my to-do list when I was, wait, 2001, so I was 11 years old. I mean, I was 11 years old, and I was just watching my life, how I expected my life in my 20s would be. Did it yeah. turn out that way? Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, halfway there? I remember when Josie and the Pussycats came out. So, Sasha, when did you first see it? Oh, man. I saw it in theaters. So, I guess in, in 2001. Nice. Oh, wow. Dream, right? It felt like I was a stadium. By the way, for anyone listening and for you guys, the soundtrack really holds up. I, I noticed that as well. I, um, I was listening to it. Really tried to get in the mood here uh, to talk about this movie. And um, I... It, it worked better than I thought it was going to. It definitely sounds more Avril Lavigne yeah. than I'd say even Letters to Cleo um, or some of the other stuff from that time, which I do like. Yeah. Uh, and I especially like um, like Veruca Salt uh, and oh, Hole. Yeah. And this isn't that dark. This is kind of more poppy, but it's so earnestly what it is. Uh, it's, it's interesting because it's not a parody of the time. It's actually made exactly from that time, which is really interesting. Right, yeah, and the lead singer of Letters to Cleo was the singer of Josie. Or she she sang Josie's lyrics yeah. um, on the soundtrack. And I agree, the soundtrack definitely holds up. They're good songs. And I remember, I had forgotten them, but when I... Because, so, spoiler alert, Bear and I... I mean, I I think I can speak for you. We haven't seen the movie. I had never seen the movie. This was my first experience. Yeah, this correct. was my first experience, too. I remember vividly when it came out. I remember that song, the opening credits song. Yeah. Six long hours and nine long. Which is catchy as fuck. It's really it's catchy. catchy. Yeah. 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 And I remember when it came out um, because I went to, for the first time, I went to Los Angeles 
uh, in March of 2001. That was like for Christmas 2000. My parents were like, here for Christmas, we're going to take you to LA in the spring. Cause I was like obsessed with movies. And part of that trip was going to universal studios, Hollywood. And if you've been to universal studios, Hollywood, you're it's right on the back lot. So you see, the posters for the movies coming out that year and so that year it was josie and the pussycats the mummy returns the fast and the furious jurassic park 3 american pie 2 um i think those were the ones that were up in march but like i was like on that memory i forgot about that for a minute yeah well dude 2001 universal pictures was my shit I think I bought all, except for Josie and the Pussycats, I think I bought all those movies on DVD like, when, when they came out. Um, but I had never seen it. So how did you see it more than once in theaters, Sasha, or did you see it just the one time? Just the one time. I wasn't a serial theater goer, but I bought it. I bought yeah. it. Tw- and I bought it a third time last week in preparation for this show on Whoa. iTunes. Oh. <laughs> wait, how much, how much did you buy it for? Oh, fifteen one five. Mm-hmm. Oh, the premium shit, man. Oh, I should have I should have given you my HBO Max because it's on HBO. Oh, I know, but I figured I would add it to my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that's don't feel bad about that. Clearly, this needs to be owned. Yeah, yeah. it was the move. It was I the move. It. I mean, especially for you, if it means as much to you as it clearly does, it's like, yeah, yeah. why not? So wait, tell me, tell us about the the versions of it that you bought. Was one of them VHS? VHS DVD. Nice. And now, oh, so, I mean, I'm bringing it into the future with me. Sweet. Does iTunes have special features with it? I haven't explored that yet. Oh my god. But I remember the DVD does, and I love. This is what I love about movies from like the early 2000s. You guys know this. The credits. I hope you watch the credits, Andrew. They have all the bloopers. Yeah. Here's having a fucking good time with each other. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, Doctor. And that was always my, the, that's like my most favorite thing. I'm like, oh my God, they're friends in real life. Like, <laughs> too, I think I'm like, they really do love each other. Maybe they really are in a band. You know, I was so, I would suspend my belief for anything in that movie. I was like, maybe Rachel Lay Cook is really singing these songs. I know. I, I agree with you. I love that shit though. When it's like, when it looks like they're having fun, like my favorite bloopers ever, are probably the Rush Hour 2 bloopers. Also from 2001. I have to check that um, out. Oh, they're great. Because Chris Tucker keeps calling uh, Jackie Chan Jackie instead of his character name, Lee. He's like, Jackie, kick the door. Is this one where, like, the old Jackie Chan movies used to have just a montage of him getting harmed? Because he used to do his own stunts. Yeah. Is this like that? Yeah, the the bloopers are basically that. And There was one, I forget if it was, I I suspect it was Rumble in the Bronx or Who Am I, where he had to do a stunt where he jumped feet first through a ladder. Um, like a like a, a standing ladder, and he just Whoa. jumped and just nailed the hole. And on in the moment, you're like, "Holy shit!" But then they do their bloopers, and he biffs it like thirty times. Like he could not stop fucking up. So those used to be great uh, with Jackie Chan movies. Was just watch him just fuck up a ton uh, after you see the successful execution of it. I love that shit. That's amazing. So yeah, we can talk a little bit about the history of Josie and the Pussycats. So it came out April eleventh, two thousand one. It's based off an Archie comic. That's what's I, cool. Yeah, I think I knew that going in, but when when I uh, I forget what well, when when they started talking about how they were like from Riverdale, I was like, oh okay, yeah, that now I remember. And apparently on the show Riverdale now, they're they're on the sh- like Josie and the Pussycats are on there. They're not like main characters, I don't think, but they're there. They're at school. Yeah. They're they're at school, yeah. Um, 
And so it was based off the Archie comics. And in the late 60s, early 70s, there was a Josie and the Pussycats 16 episode TV show, Josie and the Pussycats in Space. Um, but apparently it got, which it sounds pretty fucking rad. Um, but apparently it got canceled. And actually, the filmmakers, uh, the directors of Josie and the Pussycats, the writer directors, uh, that was their first pitch to Universal. Basically, just a just a straight film adaptation of that TV show. What um, did they do in space? Were they playing music still, or was it more? Was it was there a lot of space drama? Like, how did they? Like, I, I don't follow Riverdale, but it, I, it, I am correct in thinking space is not a big right where they're like. Point. So- the mysteries and there's all these characters but at the same time they also have a musical number kind of thing that's what i remember yeah that's that's what basically what the show in space was it was almost like scooby-doo in space except they were all women and there was a band and there was no dog so i guess that's like pretty different from (laughs) scooby-doo i'm like it's basically titanic in space except there's no ship uh leonardo dicaprio's not there there's no water well the 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 drummer character is kind of like a shaggy stoner type person yeah so you, you've got that. oh definitely yeah Tara yeah. Reed. my uncle uh my mom's middle brother mark he i don't know why this came up but um for some reason i think when we were kids like you know tara reed was like you know really popular and everybody had a crush on her or whatever and so like we'd be watching like i don't know american pie or something probably when we weren't supposed to and my uncle knew who she was for some reason so he'd always walk in and be like oh who's that is that tara reed and that's how he'd pronounce it and he still to this day will be like talking about like he'll be like he'll be like come up to me and be like how's la have you met tara reed yet and i'm like no fun fact yeah. she was dating carson daly at the time of the movie and he yes. has a where they yeah. kind of have a then she kicks his ass yeah. Yeah. But anyway, back to Josie. It was a box office bomb. It made $14 million on a reported $39 million budget. And Harry Elfont and Deborah Kaplan, the writer-directors, basically have said it kind of sh- just, like, pushed them out of the film industry because, yeah, because they... What happens sometimes, apparently, is if a movie doesn't... You know, if you make a movie that like that has a certain budget that like loses the studio money and doesn't get it. like, I think you can survive if your movie gets bad reviews but makes money. Yeah. Or or maybe if it doesn't make that much money but it gets like incredible reviews. But you can't have like you can't have it get bad reviews and lose money, and that's what happened to this. And so they've they've since written some movies. They wrote Maid of Honor with Patrick Dempsey, and they wrote Leap Year with Amy Adams, and they ran a show called Liza on Demand about the YouTube star Liza Koshy. They're still working and everything, but they said they haven't directed a movie since because they were they were really crushed because they they genuinely thought they made something unique and something special. Um, but as fate would have it, uh, and as history has gone on, it has garnered occult status that's why we said you know cult classic earlier and it's because people have started to pick up on the fact of how prescient it was of its satire for you Mm -hmm. know corporatizing the music industry and product placement in every scene which by the way was they didn't get any money for that right and just three years ago here in la and in 2017 there was a screening of it at the ace hotel downtown 
Mm. And and Rachel Lee Cook, Tara Reed, and Rosario Dawson were all there for a Q&A. And then there was a performance of the Josie and the Pussycat songs. Where the hell was I? I was, I was just going to ask. I was just going to ask, yeah. Yeah. San Francisco at the time, three years ago? Uh, oh, yeah. my life Bay. Jesus Christ. Tough. That's what I live for. I'll have you guys know. I still listen to the soundtrack. Obviously, it's great. We all decide. Like, do you listen to it regularly? Um, I go through phases of listening to it regularly. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, when I work out, I have to be full imagination zone or I can't fucking move my body. I'll be doing cardio, listening to it. I will be in my head pretending I'm Josie. Like, this is very revealing. I'm so sorry to slap with that weirdness, but uh, it so moves me still. So when you just said a few sentences ago, like, we examine things that kind of still bring relevance into our lives, it's absolutely relevant in my life. That's amazing. It's like, I'm a 30-year-old woman. I'm paying my bills, but, like, I just, I can't be happy without picturing my life to be, like, a mid-2000s movie <laughs> out of my eyes. I, I don't think that's fair. Me. And especially right now during the fucking pandemic, we all want to be we all want to be somewhere else. We don't want to be here right now. No. No, no. What is your favorite song on the soundtrack? Hello? <laughs> Can someone hear me? I heard you. The bear oh. question. No, no, that was to you. Oh, Sorry, Sasha. Sasha. <laughs> no, bear, bear asked. Uh, I'll take it. My favorite song is the first one. I like the uh, three small <laughs> words. I think it's the strongest track. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the song called Josie and the Pussycats. Uh, in general, I don't love when a band does a song about their name. Um, because, yeah, that has been done and perfected by the monkeys. And no one will do it better. Um yeah, so I, it's, a, it's a fool's errand to try to redo that. But uh, yeah, Sasha, the original question. What, Since you're so familiar with it, um, what is your favorite track? Okay, I just learned on guitar. I just taught myself, pretend to be nice. <laughs> yeah, I know. Nice. It's, I mean, here we are, friends, right? We're all friends here. <laughs> and I like a spin around. There's a lot of energy. This is you, you, you hit the nail on the head with Avril Lavigne. There's a lot of energy. Yeah. I think that's really important to uh, understand about this the there's so much forward moving momentum and like energy it's pumping you know mm -hmm. and it's uh kind of rare to have like a female you know a female fronted band and have that that's like it's easier for me to identify with it that way you know it's not green mm -hmm. day or something. so was yeah. this something for you were these were these female characters role models for you growing up yeah in a way i had this whole like rock thing going on even like jack black and school of rock another that was the it was a toss-up between school of rock and josie because i just oh nice I, they were role models in the sense of like, you know what? That's a really good question. To be co completely honest, they weren't Courtney Loves. Like I would, I, I, I loved Hole too. I loved Nirvana and Hole. They're would... awesome. That Hole stands up now. I mean, Courtney Love has certainly had a rough go of it. So I don't even blame her for doing crazy shit. I mean, fucking Kurt Cobain blew his brains out and never blamed her. Uh, yeah, but her yeah. output with Hole is awesome. They make awesome, awesome yeah. music. Live through this. Like that's yeah. I don't even know, but you know, I, they weren't my role models. Like that scared me. I was like, I used to be like, I'm a rock star, but do I have to dress like that? Like, you know, I, was like <laughs> I have to do that. Like I was like, oh. and then Josie comes out and it really just was like depicting like three best friends. Like in the beginning of the movie, when um, Valerie's like, who's a rock star, you're a rock, you know, just like, they're so supportive. They have cats everywhere. Like they were just positive. I don't know. I was just like, I wanted that life so bad. I, I kind of, I grew up half Indian, right? So pretty sheltered life. Like my parents wouldn't let me play in a band with like boys. You know what I mean? They'd be like, mm -hmm. 
that's inappropriate. So, and that's okay too. Like you, I grew out of that, but it was so like what I wanted so desperately and what I like knew I had in me. And, and so I kind of just lived through the depictions of these three women. And I was like, I don't care if I'm, if we, if me and my best friend split one pack of ramen, like for dinner together, like, I just want this life. Like I just, I want this freedom. And I think, I think in a big way, it was one of the films that contributed to me pursuing an artistic career and going to Chapman university and like, I didn't go into film school thinking I was going to make films like Josie, of course, but like as a, as a very impressionable and very passionate young person who like felt very misunderstood, this movie depicted visually something that I could actually look up to and be like, oh, I don't have to like do cocaine and be a rock star. I could also just like love my friends and stand by my values, whatever those might be, you know? Right. Was that, was that the first time you encountered that? Because you were, what, 11 when, when you saw it? Was that like the first time you had that thought? Um, oh, that's a great question. I probably had it younger. I, you know, I probably had it before. I, I was obsessed with the beat. I loved the Beatles growing up and would watch all of their movies. And, you know, hard, like, nice. the, that left an impression on me. Like, Beatlemania, I had Beatlemania, right? I was, for as far as women in music and rock stardom is concerned, absolutely. In our age group, that wasn't quite relevant pre or prevalent. And when it was, it was a little more looked down upon. And I, that's just, I'm gonna just say like specifically in the rock genre, like I don't wanna speak to soul music and other genres that I wasn't as into until like my high school years. I also have an embarrassing story. I bought the soundtrack for Josie. And the I was- CD? Yeah, the CD. Oh, I, was yeah. CD. I was in, um, I was in study hall in freshman year of high school and I was making new friends. And this one girl at the table was like, what are you listening to? And I was so embarrassed to say Josie and the Pussycats because I was trying to be cool. I was a freshman. So I was like, you know, my little, I don't have a little sister. I was like, my little sister like used my CD player and she left this CD in here and it's stupid. I was listening to the Ramones before, like what the, and they were like, that's stupid. Josie's stupid. And then this one guy, Spencer, I had a crush on him. He went, here, let me see that. And he took out his little Swiss army knife and he scratched up the back oh. of the and he's like, here, you give this back to your sister and tell her to not use your things. And I was like, yeah, she sucks. I don't have a little sister. It was totally my seat. Oh, no. And I got out of school and I went to my dad's office and he's like, dad, I got bullied and someone scratched my CD. I was such a minute. And he took me to Amoeba and we got a new CD. <laughs> That's so sweet. That's also so fucking cool that you had Amoeba when you were 10 or 11. Oh, Berkeley. You know, I grew up in Berkeley. Yeah, oh, right. That's, that's where it is. Yeah, Amoeba's awesome. They moved, the, the LA location moved to, um, I think, somewhere on Hollywood Boulevard. Glad to hear it's still in business. Yeah, I, I was going to say, at least it's still fucking in business. That's, that's right. That's the most important thing because, the right. 11 years, being 11 is like the perfect time to not be okay with your own opinions, too. Oh, like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it takes a little bit till you can be like, all right, I like this and it's good and I don't give a shit what other people say and this is what I'm into for sure. I was going to say, I'm 31 and I still sometimes struggle with that. Like, <laughs> of fucking like, oh yeah, no, I didn't, uh, like, oh, this is this is stupid, right? Like, I, I saw, Sasha, that, that story got me because like, I totally did that shit too. Like, yeah. we, I mean, we all did, I'm sure, but it's like, I can so see that happening of like, oh yeah, I don't like this, whatever it is, like. Yeah. Let's rip oh, this man. That's the most shocking part that like they committed to actually destroying it. And you were like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so you so you said pursue a career in the arts. Can you talk a little bit about what you're doing now, but like also when you worked at I know you worked at uh Warner Brothers Records and um yeah. and other labels and stuff. Can you talk a little bit about that? And also how you relate that to the you know, the content of Josie and the Pussycats. Oh, it's perfect. It's beyond perfect. I mean, that movie was made when I think the music industry was still at a peak and it's not anymore. Um that may have been the peak, actually. Like, like March of 2001. Yeah. yeah. By the way, when I used to work at Rhino Records, which is a catalog label, that was cool. I liked that job. I liked that label a lot. It has the great Zeppelin and Aretha, and it has the dead and all that. And um, all the a lot of the employees had been there 25, 30 years. And I used to hear stories of like, oh, yeah, the music industry. Back in the day, man, we used to be doing coke off our desks and prostitutes were walked through the hallways and just like fucking Eddie Vedder was like doing a guitar solo in this office. Like like they had the stories of the record industry and they're like, and now we are pushing paper and tech is taking over our jobs. <laughs> but Jesus. like I, Rhino was cool because you had all the people who've, who've been in it and been in the game since like maybe the 80s and had all those stories of like pretty much the sexiest industry right like this in film like it had their it was very sexy it was like everyone wanted this everyone wants this and that's kind of what they talk about in the movie is like that's what's so funny about the movie is how they were they were like we created behind the music to just explain this revolving door of artists <laughs> everyone wants this everyone wants this shot and if you walk away from it like no, who cares like no one's gonna beg for you to come back like we'll find another band tomorrow in some dumb town in the middle of america and we'll take advantage you know and that's kind of it's truthful to how the attitude is here to go into my own career and my path it is that expectation you know andrew you work in film and you understand it's that like attitude of like we can treat you how we treat you and we can do what we want because if you leave there's like a bajillion people who will take this desk there's a you know it's that whole yeah. ideal of you're so you're so lucky to be here you're so like no matter what like you don't mean anything until you've proven yourself and that's the music industry and that's a little bit of the film industry too and and it is what it is and so when I left college I had just I was a music journalist in college for all four years and that kind of got me into internships at record labels and indie and major and I just started working right out of college at Warner Records and um, in the marketing department and that was that was great that was intense and exactly one later I got cross-promoted into Rhino where I where I spent the rest of my time and so I just wasn't finding that pulse that drives me forward at all at the labels it was very it was very um what's the word disenchanting when you kind of have the veil lifted and you're like this is it like holy fuck and I left for a while, but you know, this full circle moment is coming to this current job that I'm at. I'm a personal assistant for a, an A-list film composer mm. and I support the whole team. I, I kind of like to call myself the, the team manager or something because we have a team of five of us who support Henry and, um, and, and Henry's my boss. And just, we're a very small company and we just all get it done. And like, we all move at the same pace of the film. So because we're in post-production, we're at the end of that ride at, of that roller coaster kind of thing. Mm. this was the first time in my entire career that I've worked this close to the creative and it was my dream I you know obviously I wanted to be a rock star my, I, I didn't care what type of creative I wanted to be close to a musician and I mean there are moments in my job where I sit behind Henry as he's composing to screen and and I, I never saw that happen and I, I'm sitting like three feet behind the man telling him we have to go to his doctor appointment but like to watch 
that vessel like create music and and then see it on the the TV, the movie screen later like that's a dream come true yeah. maybe i'm not selling out stadiums like josie but like hang on a minute like something happened in my life where i took the right steps to like get that close to it right. kind of cool and it's not that's the music. really cool yeah like yeah very, and i tell him i'm i tell i i tell him how grateful i am that he brought music into my life in a new way that i never could have imagined and it's it's very authentic it's not like you're like backstage in the green room like doing drugs with the the band's groupies you're you're in this like really serious and really intense work setting watching someone produce on demand essentially like the most moving emotional music and i'm just like i never ever dreamed of this happening but here it is to me this is like a, a main stage moment that's awesome. That's amazing, though. It, it would be incredible if you were in the back just, like, ripping lines with the woodwinds and shit. <laughs> oh, man. So, I guess we, we can all dream. Yeah. No, but I, you know, it's funny, like, it's it's cool to hear you say that, Sash, because I've, you know, we've been friends for, I don't know, come more than 10 years now. And, 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 I, and what's great is, like, you know, I've seen you go from like label to label, like in, in like Bear in 2013, Sasha got us free tickets to see Green Day down in, like in downtown LA, and then we like went backstage and like didn't hang with them. We were just like like there, and they were there, and like we were really close to them. And Sasha was just like, "Yeah, this is just what work is," and I was like, "This is fucking wild." Yeah, like. And is but you're so right about the industry being this place where a lot of people have which I think is a very unhealthy mentality of you're really lucky to be here. And it's like not that you shouldn't count your blessings and be grateful, but I think if someone's forcing that on you, it just makes you less inclined to accept that. It makes you less inclined to be like I am like it's 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 like somebody's telling you how to feel about yeah. your job and it's like just let me figure out how I feel. A little it is gaslighting and like I've worked for people like that in the in you know the film industry and like they're they're not fucking healthy and there has been I mean literally since the Me Too movement it's been such a reckoning of you know so much going on and I and and for good you know but in terms of the satire of Josie and the Pussycats did you ever see things like that at the label of like you know certain marketing heads being like let's push this type of product or whatever Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And you have um, I, brilliant Alan Cummings, right, as the band awesome. manager. Dude, yep. he's so committed. Like oh, yeah. he, oh. my the part in the movie that made me like actually one of the parts that made me laugh out loud was when Missy Pyle says she's like, oh, I used to live down in England, aha, uh -huh, like fancy or something, and he goes, fancy a mint. Fancy a snog. Fancy a mint. Yeah, fancy a snog. Fancy a mint. That's it. Yeah. Um. That's. That, and I used to want to be an artist manager. So I, I, for a while I was like interning for artist management. Like it, it truly is babysitting. The, the, the beginning when they're in the private jet with Dujour and he goes, eyes, eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen that. That's awesome. Is you're in a zoo. You have, I, I, I don't know if they'll ever hear this. I hope I don't get fired. I'm sometimes that with Henry. Awesome. Wow. You pull, Who uh, you um that it's weird I, I sometimes i'm like henry five minutes we have two minutes honey i have your i have your six pack. let's go come on i snap it's like i turn into alan cummings in that movie and i'm like it's it is real no you're you're right it's a re it's a real thing i i worked for uh a director once and 
the his his producer was like just so you know he's you know he's a wildcat he you know he's like the type of guy to miss flights or whatever and then we were flying you know to go shoot something on location and he literally missed the flight and i had to wait five hours for him in the airport when i landed because he had to get on the next flight and and he was late and i was like this sucks and like i didn't real like when when the producer said that i was just like okay that's who he that's the type of guy he is but then i was like oh no no that's who he is like he misses flights. I don't think I've ever missed a flight in my life other than oh, maybe it getting canceled. Or Oh, no, I've what? just had the flight take off and me not be there. How? <laughs> what happened? Uh, it was in the morning. I'm, I'm not a morning person, and uh, I just missed it. And I went up to the gate agent uh, to help me, and I was like, hey, I missed my flight. Can you help? And she's like, oh, what happened? Do you have, like, a flat tire or something? I was like, no, the, the plane took off, and I wasn't here. Uh, <laughs> so need need help. And she's like, are you fucking kidding me? I was like, no. I was an 8 a.m. flight. What do you want me to do? I hate the morning. Yeah. So I think I you it. were the director. That's like exactly what happened to him. He was just like, yeah, just, don't don't book an early flight. I mean, that's, yeah, no, you're right. I, it's like if you if you know who you are, especially at this age. And this guy's like in his he was in his, I think, late 40s at the time. It's like if you know that you're going to miss the flight, like, come on, man, you've lived. A, you've lived a while. Like, don't fucking don't get on a morning flight. Yeah. You know, just don't do it. But that's hilarious, Sasha, that you saw, like, that type of artist management of, like, having to hold their hand a little bit. Yeah, totally. Um, and as far as, like, product placement is concerned, you know, what I saw from the labels is I very consistently, actually, across all the labels is they're really, artists really do not want to sell shit through their music. I don't think that, that's a no-brainer. Like, that's mm-hmm. a no-brainer. And <clears throat> it's such a battle. It was such a battle because the marketing department and the promo department, they don't care, you know, they're, they're answering to the bottom dollar. So it would, it would, it would work better if they were doing, if, you know, if it was like a Fender or a Gibson placement, you know, if it was an mm-hmm. instrument to use, but it, it would, I, I've, I've seen, I've seen arguments. I've, I've seen my bosses melt down over things like over like sparkling water and Fiji water and things like that and trying to sell that. But, you know, in the end of the day, I don't know. I would like to get your guys' take on this. It's like, this is a weird thing to talk about, like your art versus like commercializing your art by signing or label or by selling mm-hmm. your, like to a, something like you're doing it for the business of it, not just for the pleasure, not just for like after work, you go to your basement and write a song or something. Um, but when, when you say sparkling water, like what is that? How would that be monetized? Like what? It, it's, it's just like normal water, but uh, it has <laughs> CO2 in it. So oh, it has a nice mouthfeel. Oh, no, but like I- I'm asking, like how would that be pushed on an artist to sell? It would um, to sell. I mean, it'd be more. I- I've seen it as like appearances, like brand appearances at like parties and like plugging it like that. Or okay, pitching to be in commercials. Like you see that a lot. Like you see it I a see. lot. Out. Yeah, of like the Foo Fighters playing in their garage, and then someone brings them a LaCroix, and they're like, I mean, not sure. You'll see like commercials and you'll see placements and like very special. It's just all of that, yeah. stu- you know. Yeah, like like Taylor Swift with Diet Coke. Exactly. Or DJ Shadow with, with Chevy, which bums me out. Oh, yeah. But what you were asking us something about our, our commercializing your art. What was the question? I guess I was just exploring that that thought of like the control of the art. And just that's always just such a, mm. isn't that such a or in general whatever that art is is like when you're when you're selling it when you're when you're like choosing i'm going to be in a band as a way of living as as 
lifestyle and and you're you're making these choices like part of what comes with that is the sales of that and just I mean I from my label days from the small experience I've had you know some artists want to be involved in every single decision every single placement in a video game every single and some don't know about things and we just talk to their manager and their manager actually chooses what they tell the artist or not just based on their temperament alone yeah like let's not tell billy joe that we're putting welcome to paradise in a skate video commercial that's going to be on you know all these channels he had you know or and and they always do that kind of like damage control like if he does find out and calls his manager screaming at him they would rather do it for the money and then back 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 into that and that's at a point where you like you're owned. If you're an artist, someone owns you. Someone owns your your intellectual work. It yeah. depends on. So. So like, don't ask, don't ask for permission. Ask for forgiveness. That type of thing. Yeah, yeah. I see that happens a lot too. It happens with the bigger artists where they just don't have the time. They don't have the space to even see everything where their music is going. You know. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm sure these people have, you know, they're they're. I mean, they're, they're so used to being handled. Yeah, that's such a great way to put it. They're so used to being handled. I don't think a lot of them know know a life outside of that. Um, you know, on this campus, we have some pretty famous film composers and and the stories about them, they don't even know how to put gas in their car. Some of them don't even have a driver's license anymore. Like, it's just these things where like, but the way they act about it, there's one composer in particular, and I'm not here to name drop, but he will, he will be embarrassed about the gas one was a real example. He didn't know how to put gas in his car and he would just like yell at his assistant for not thinking of doing that until finally the assistant one day was like, do you even know how to do this? And he, he was like, no, it's humiliating. Like you- Yeah, you, it is. I, I worked for a guy who didn't, who couldn't figure out GPS on his phone. And so he like made me print out, he was going to a dinner. I, I this And the next day, like, I left. I was like, this this job sucks. It was uh, it was this fucking hack producer, and he uh, Gary Schmoller. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's one of our professors at Chapman. Um, I remember yeah, Bear and I were in a class at Chapman, and I was late every single day because I'm not a morning person. It was early in the morning, and it was I, a ten o'clock class. I fucking made it there. No, it was like an eight fifteen. No, class. I would never take an eight fifteen class. Are you sure? A positive. Right, it well, was it was egregious. Your tardiness. Yeah, it was. I was bad, and <laughs> and and I think about halfway through the semester, he looked at me and goes, "Gary Schwaller," and he had a thick Texas accent. Your DP and your AD and everything. And he looked at me as I came in late, and he looked at me, looked at the clock, and goes, "You got to quit doing that." And he was so, and I was shaken to my core. I think from then on, I was on time, but like, <laughs> maybe I wasn't. I don't know. But I was definitely like, oh, shit. But anyway, I worked for this producer who made me, like, print out directions to where he was going, which is so much less efficient than putting GPS on his phone that guides him and, like, highlight where they were going. And, like, he didn't know how to do anything. And within five minutes of him leaving me, because, like, and then he, like, and then he left. And this was one of those jobs where it's, like, nine to, like, 12 hours, like, you know, nine to nine and you're like, you, you, you can't leave till he leaves or whatever. But this was like, cause you're on the phone all day. It sucks. And he was leaving early to go to this dinner. So when he left, I was like to his, to his number one, I was like, all right, I'll see you later. And the number, the other guy was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, what are you doing? And I'm like, 
well, he's gone, so I'm going home. And he's like, no, 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 you have to wait till he gets there. And I was like, fuck. And then, like clockwork, guy calls me. I pick up the phone. He goes, where the fuck am I going? Where the fuck am I? Where the fuck did you put me? I'm fucking Beverly Glenn. I'm on fucking Beverly Glenn. Oh, and then you're like horns in the background. And he's like, eh, fuck you. Like this guy. So it was Dino De Laurentiis. <laughs> no, <laughs> not even close. Um, but like this guy was out of his mind. And then, and actually, and then, yeah, then the next day I was like, this isn't this isn't working and he and, and and he agreed he was like yeah you know here's my problem my expectations are always going to be up here and right now you're like here and like i just need you to be right here very fast and i was like listen <laughs> dude i'm i'm out of here and the one the one hilarious thing i'll say that i always forget and i don't know how i forget it because it's one of the funniest details about a person ever on my first day on the job his number one uh his like you know, his VP of production or something was like telling me all about him. Like he's a kind, he's a pretty, he's a weird guy or this or that. He's a character. He's like, so things you got to know about him. He's like every weekend he goes out of town. Um, you know, same place every weekend, whatever. Uh, he hates driving, blah, 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 whatever. And he's like, and you know, he's a very, uh, he's a very nervous guy. I mean, he went to rehab for eating too many cookies and I just like started laughing and he was like, like, is he blue? Does he live like in a New York type street environment? He's got a friend that lives in a trash can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And a bird. Yeah. But like he, so he, he said that and I started laughing and he's like, no, that's not a joke. And I instantly shut up and I was like, oh my God like that's you're you're serious and he was like yeah i mean he was really nervous about it <laughs> like he needed help and i was like like i just thought that was the most bizarre detail about a person ever i mean fucking god these fucking businesses we're in they're ridiculous i was gonna say that that's uh, that expectations comment is like the universal speech for the entertainment industry it's just anyone on any level of like executive boss will give you that yeah my expectations are here and you're kind of meeting me here no matter what that's like the universal entertainment industry asshole it's tough it's tough because like i am a believer in paying your dues and i am a believer in in working hard and doing whatever you can to you know make a living and i've worked so many fucking jobs out here and i'm not saying i've you know struggled and i've had a horrible life i've had a very blessed life and i'm lucky but i'm but i've you know i've worked a ton of jobs so i'm definitely not someone who is too proud to do certain things but at the same time and i and i have friends who like are a little bit too proud and i don't really like see eye to eye with them on that but at the same time, I also understand not wanting to work for someone who makes you feel like complete shit. Like, I think there's a balance to be had. And I think it's I think at the end of the day, it just comes down to your self-worth, as long as it's not hurting your self-worth. And a lot of these places did hurt my self-worth, which is why I got out. Some of them, they fired me, I'll be honest. And some of them, some of them I was smart enough to, like, eventually be like, oh, okay, I got to get out of here. Um, but... I think if that's not affected, then you can be okay. I mean, I was a tour guide at Paramount for two years, and I was I had a great time. That was a great experience for me. And the majority of other people that worked there complained every single day. And I think I just was, like, in a place in my life where I was okay, you know? I was, like, 
I was like, I'm feeling good about myself and I think this is what I should be doing right now. Whereas other people were there and they were like constantly just not grateful. And they were just like, this sucks. This pays like shit. And it did pay shit, you know, but I had other jobs to supplement the income. And I think a lot of them thought that they deserve better. And Mm -hmm. there was a sense of entitlement, which I also think is, is tough to reconcile as well. But but I think, you know, bringing this all back to, to Josie and the Pussycats, I think that um, what I appreciated about the movie was that it wasn't really a, a story about making it with all these things like ego and entitlement. And, and it was just it was just like a goofy satire of what the music industry was becoming and, and has since become. become. Yeah, it has, right, it has since turned into that. Um, and a lot of people are saying that it was ahead of its time. I wanted to get your guys' take on that. What do you What do you think? Oh, absolutely. Because it holds up. I mean, in reference to just uh, preparing for this podcast and watching it from that lens, uh, it holds up to be very contemporary. We have TikTok, we have all this bullshit now, and we have all these new ways of like consuming our media and, and getting our music out there. Um, but I think everything that we've had in this conversation so far is captured within the, like the gaslighting. And, you know, Alan Cummings' character being like, you are lucky to be here. You know, everything is so true. And so it's, so, it's still the pulse of the industry. Um, not to mention just like, just to, si- to sidebar about, their manager Alexandra and or Alexandra and his sister Alexandra and how at one point he goes why are you even here and she goes because I was in the comic book and he goes what and she's right. like what like just little like very self-aware moments like that I think is what contributes to this holding up in a clever way and just allowing you to like suspend your belief while you're in that movie except for I have to believe it because I've lived it just like you have, like in just funny ways. And, and you want to know what, to that point, as I just said that I was kind of like, it makes, it makes me laugh at my reality sometimes. Like the, some of the stuff I have to do for this job is hilarious. And that has made it less painful. Cause I mean, I really reacted hard to being a personal assistant in the beginning. Um, I couldn't believe people were treated this way. And, and I had a very hard adjustment to this job, but at this point I have, successfully been able to not take things personally anymore which is a huge just personal growth moment of mine mm-hmm. and things will happen or blow up and i can i can find the humor in it and i can like show a friend and feel better immediately and like that to that point this movie holds up for me <laughs> it makes fun of the exact experiences i'm having and i feel like in a, in a way i'm like i know that this is some weird alternative reality that is the hollywood and music industry anyway and we're all crazy creatives we're all crazy. We're just in LA because we're brave enough to admit that we're crazy and run with it. Very well said. Yeah. Very Everyone, well said. all crazy. We just believe in our own craziness down here. Yeah. What about you, Bear? What do you think? Uh, I I hated my first watch of this. I ended up watching it twice. Um, I. Uh, it was it was a tough tough to get through for me um but the longer i spent away from it the more i kind of liked it a little bit more um i could tell it was a pre 911 movie because there was way too much airplane crash humor, humor. uh in the beginning of it, it <laughs> is true. uh is, is probably the best part it's got an incredible transition from leo the lion 
uh, into, into the, the fan. Liked. Yeah, into the fan, which was great. There's a Justin Chatwick sighting early on. Who I caught that me, too. Uh, love interest. Yeah, I, it took me a bit. I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah, um, War so I, had to, I, had to, like, I had to pause and figure that out because it bothered me so much. Yeah. Um, I wanted to like this movie a lot. I wanted to like it a lot more than I ended up liking it, but um, parts of it are great. I mean, Backdoor Lover as, as a joke to smuggle into what's essentially a kid's movie is an incredibly ambitious anal sex joke. Uh, or or a reference to the Catholic Church. I don't know which one it is, but I like it either way. And um, that was a really strong start. So I think some of the best funny shits in the beginning. Um, yeah, but overall, I it it felt like kind of a chore. Like I hated. I, actually, let me let me start positively. I the first note I wrote down was, "Holy shit, do I miss the aesthetic of 2001?" Um, yeah, which I haven't really thought about uh since i watched ladybird in the theater when that came out because i think that's set in like 2002 yeah and kind of nailed what it was like to have just huge clothes and like bad music body glitter chains on shit um so i i, I do miss that having having lived through it uh the at one point i think i had like 20 minutes left in the movie and i texted my sister because i knew she liked it and i i texted her like what the fuck am I watching? Like, what is this? And I will read her response because it was actually quite good. Um, and she said, uh, the songs are sung by the lead singer of Letters to Cleo, obviously. Uh, she liked the amazing performances by Rosario Dawson, seconded. Uh, she's ageless, and I'm confused as to why she's not a bigger star. Uh, yeah, she's great. Tara Reed, this is a surgical deployment of Tara Reed's talents. This is perfect casting for Tara Reid. She's, she's actually great. Yeah, appara- apparently, uh, so she apparently didn't have, she was the only one of them that didn't have to uh, audition. The studio was... They nailed it. Yeah, the studio yeah, someone, was... Someone just drilled that choice. Yeah, because they loved her from the American Pie movies because they had, uh, I think they might have shot American Pie 2 already or at the very least were shooting it and they were like, and Universal was like, we love Tara, let's, let's get her in there. And also, fun fact, Beyonce, Lisa Left Eye Lopez and Aaliyah all auditioned for Valerie for Rosario Dawson's part, and Be- and Beyonce was was too shy, and um, Aaliyah was a little too stern and serious, and Left Eye auditioned twice, but eventually they gave it to Rosario. And what's also fucked up about that is that both Lisa Left Eye and Aaliyah are gone now. I was gonna say no no sequel potential if they went with either of them. Yeah. Which is um, crazy to think about, the, but the the thing that my sister pointed out that it was probably my favorite part too is that she said it it starts out kind of bizarre but gives way to a very relevant and insightful investigation about how the media can influence consumers to buy certain things, and pop music is just another tool of capitalism. Uh, terrible one-liners, but incredible message. It was uh, it taught me about product placement and maybe one hundred percent smarter as a consumer of media. Also, rockin' jams with a Z. Uh, so <laughs> that I, I liked that shit. I mean, this is basically they live for preteens, and yeah. um, I think, like you said, is this a, a relevant movie today? Yeah, kind of, but I think it's been done better, and um, in a way, I I, th- I think if you watch this as a kid and you like it, um, and it gets you into watching some some seriously um, more ideological. Uh, maybe even harder to to watch fair like they live that's actually extremely uh leftist and very anti 
kind of the flow of how our society just kind of guides you into liking these things because the why this is the accepted thing orange mm-hmm. is the new pink or whatever um, i think that is overall good for people mm-hmm. but i hated the way this movie was shot um every every shot is the same i don't know why they did so many dead on just straight to the camera shots uh it really makes you aware that the entire thing was shot on a soundstage um that bothered me the you know outside of just kind of missing how life was in 2001 um i i didn't uh i i wish that i'd connected with it more because i think that the message of uh shit is used to separate you from your money and that's kind of it so you may not want to put all of your identity into the things you consume is a really good message uh i just found it to be a little slow i yeah i think that's i think that's very valid um I fall somewhere in between you guys because, funnily enough, I actually didn't like it f- in the beginning. Like, I like pretty quickly, I was like, shit, this is not for me. Like, I liked the transition. What is legitimately not for you? Yeah, I, I like, mean, it's not for I, me either. Right, but I, I, like the tra- I like the transition from the lion into the, into the screaming fan. I thought that was great. But I, I thought the plane part i was just or the scene on the plane i just didn't really find it that funny i did i did get a kick out of the slapping of the hands and stuff yeah you're out of your mind that the slapping of hands is a great joke and there's a dr zayas reference that has no place in this movie but made me laugh pretty hard which one where was that again he calls his monkey dr zayas right. which is a planet of the apes reference yes. which what kid is gonna get that that's awesome that is great that's true um i just i just felt like like it like in the beginning i was like oh, i'm not really into this but once i started to pick up on the message and what it was trying to say i was like oh that's pretty clever but similar to you bear i just i didn't love the way it was shot either it felt kind of patched together and like and like and slapdash and all those fast zooms as much as i enjoy yeah. parts of that there was so much of that and there were a lot of like fisheye lenses, and I was like, "Why is why are those here?" Which I thought was yeah, bizarre. It, but it shot the way I would shoot it because I'm bad at making movies. It's basically, "Oh, we'll just we'll just shoot this." Well, it shot the it it shot it shot the way that like it shot the way that ki- that a kid would you know shoot the uh, what was I gonna say like shoot on their parents' camcorder or something like that. But I will say. One part that I thought was very clever was when he almost hits them and the meatloaf song Paradise by the Dashboard Light is playing and it's slow motion and he holds up the blank, the empty CD case and he sees them as the number one band thing. I thought that was very, very well staged and well done. Um, I wrote down in my notes, I still like meatloaf. I don't care. Dude, that song's that song is an epic. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, and I thought that again, the more I figured out what was going on, I I liked what it was saying, and I always love Alan Cumming because he's just always committed. And same with, I was gonna say same with Parker Posey. She's great. I love Parker Posey, but she is the worst role in this movie, and it turns into yeah. kids movie villainy shit towards the end. Yeah, it it is not a good use of how good she is. Apparently, she wasn't easy to work with either. The end, really, the wheels came off. I'm with you guys. That was a shitty ending to this movie. It yeah. just yeah. just sucks. But, I mean, you know you know why I'm in this, right? Just all for personal nostalgia. <laughs> all for personal Yeah. 
but that's that's kind of what we're talking about is like i think if we had seen it as kids we might have liked it more because it's like you know we would have had a fun time but then it also like the message of it i i'm i'm with bear i think like again i think i'm in between because i i liked it as it went so i i didn't end it with kind of a eh, i liked it more as it went on of like oh i get it that's an interesting way to you know to explore that type of satire i think that ultimately it it wasn't my my favorite thing but i did i definitely liked what it had to say and i think it did a i i give it a lot of credit for being uh very prescient and for calling out the music industry for what it was and is and i thought that was very smart on the filmmakers part so i'm definitely it's definitely not a stupid movie but that's the thing is the marketing like they market there was a reason why we had heard of it when we were you know 11 and 12 but that's that we are we, we weren't really the target audience in a way because we didn't we didn't pick up on i mean i don't know about you. sasha did you pick up on all that stuff when you were a kid yes which is yeah really <laughs> yeah i had a very um a very oh, young awareness of the th- of things my parents would talk about it too like oh okay yeah but i was aware because i would quickly analyze i'd be like i would really easily notice how many brand placements because it's overwhelming like they do that on purpose right. of course so then i would kind of think i would ask my i think i asked my dad about that who's very smart business pr- like they're it's very dry isn't it mm-hmm. it's like you could almost miss it as a kid. So I'm not saying like I was a fucking child genius, which I was, <laughs> but I am saying <laughs> really aware of it not being normal. And then right. I, and, yeah, so because right. it was overwhelming. And I loved the, I loved the cartoon series when I was a kid and I just paid attention to this, you know? And um, yeah. Good for you. Wow. You just, you completely proved me wrong. I was like, well, we wouldn't have gotten that, right? And you were like, actually, I got all of it. Child <laughs> genius. <laughs> well, it's not subtle. I think you'd pick right, up on it. It's just true. I don't. I don't think if you're a kid uh, outside of Sasha, you you may not be comfortable with those ideas already. So that's true. I don't know how you'd process that if you were like around the same time in your face. I yeah. auditioned at this talent agency up in Marin County called John Robert Powers, and I got a call back. And I was stoked. I heard about it on Radio Disney, uh, the audition. Oh yeah! Wow. Three kids who got called back. I was a very good actress. Like I was very committed. <laughs> Andrew, I was an actress who really wanted her part. <laughs> and um, oh, we have to share that before we, we go. And my parents took me in for for the second audition, and then they tried to sell me acting classes. So it was kind of a scam, right? Where they wow. were like, and they were like, "You might land a commercial like Jessica Biel." That's how. She got. And so my parents do it and I was crying and I was like why won't you let me this is my calling like you know and they explained to me the industry and they were like we're not putting you in that and you're not get you don't get to do that and they showed me the the movie 13 I don't remember when that came out but like my parents were really real oh that's a heavy movie 2005 maybe you've got a a naked Holly Hunter in that movie yeah you do so my parents why you're not going to be an actress so they kind of conditioned me yeah when uh, I was really hyper aware of this stuff and I was like inquisitive and curious and I was like wondering wow. why rock star life that I really wanted to and now I'm 30 and I'm hanging out with rock stars like who I would consider rock stars like today in LA and I'm like oh you guys don't even do your dishes you know what I mean? I'm like such a yeah. grandma but I'm happy <laughs> you know, 
I, I really am. I'm like, can we like do your dishes while you mix that uh, song? That I'll, I'll be over here. <laughs> like, that's amazing. For better or worse, well, that's why I'm becoming a, a creative career coach because I fucking am super attracted to creatives, but I'm not, I'm not that. And I'm happy with who I am, but I want to be around it. <laughs> yeah. Pl- plug that for a second, creative career coach. Yeah, so I'm finishing up my credentialing in my academy to become a full-time creative career coach. And essentially, it's life coaching for creatives and artists. But it's not, you know, it's weird saying it in L.A. It comes off as very woo-woo. It's, like, very goop, but it's not. It's an incredibly strategic and skilled partnership, essentially, that you enter in with a, with a person to help them set and establish really clear goals based on what their vision and dreams are and, and essentially strategize getting to those goals. And um, it's phenomenal i went through six months of coaching myself before i decided like this is what i want to do and how i want to connect with people and it's very it's incredibly engaging and i feel like i'm part of a creative partnership with with some of my clients and we're just there's there's thing is dreaming too big i mean it sounds very woo woo like i keep saying but at the end of the day what we really need to learn as artists is it just taking personal responsibility to get there you know i talk to a lot of people who are like well all this, all this happened to me and I got laid off and this, no one handed this to me, you know, and I'm like, no one will ever hand anything to you. So we need to come up with your goals and your steps to get there. And then we need to just take those steps, taking action, what we call in coaching trouble at the border, taking things from visionary reality into physical reality, making it happen. We, we, you reach a point where you meet trouble at the border. Like you, you can't take it beyond that. Um, and coaching really helps you get there through strategy. So I think it's, mm-hmm. it's super cool. And it's, um, it's, 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 it's really what I think a lot of artists need, but maybe don't know they need or don't know what they need to make it because again, no one hands anything to you. This is not how the world works, whether, you know, no one will notice you. You, it's to circle back to Josie and the Pussycats when she's in the living room, she goes, we need to be responsible for being seen. We need to go play on the streets. We need to go do this for ourselves. No one's going to make it happen for us. Like that's the attitude that's coaching. No one's going to make yeah. this happen. I'm going to make this happen for me. And this is how I'm going to make it happen for me. The how is where we always get stuck. So uh, yeah. that's what's hit me up if you want to coach, because let's get there. Yeah. Well, you guys heard it here. How, how, how can people reach you and find out? Uh, you can uh, check out my website, SashaPatPatia.com. And there's a, you know, you can send me an email through my website and let's get started. And um I don't know. It's really, it's really exciting. And I'm taking on, I'm taking clients on a sliding scale right now because I do work with artists and it is COVID and we're entering a huge recession. That's going to be right. happening. Yeah. So That's don't awesome let, though. Don't, and I have custom packages, like six months packages and, you know, at least three months because it's not just a one-off thing. Coaching mm-hmm. is transformation. So transformation is different from change. You, you don't, you don't slide back from transforming to who you are. So, right. right. That's awesome, Sash. I'm proud of you. That sounds great. Thank you. I'm so excited about it. So, Josie and the Pussycats, is it still good, Sasha? Oh, my. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How how about you, Bear? No, but, um, you know, (laughs) if I have kids and, you know, they're girls and they want to watch it, and uh, even if they're boys, I'd I'd be like, yeah, go for it. Learn learn something. Learn how the world works. You'll you'll probably enjoy it and... uh, and by the way, if you like that soundtrack, I got p- plenty more in my CD tower we can fire up for you. Yeah, I got more where that but, came uh, from. Yeah. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I do think it's a no for me, too. But it's but I think for both Bear and I, it's a soft no. 
Like, Soft no. We have we got to be honest. You know, it's like we if if you didn't if you didn't enjoy watching something. Like, I enjoyed learning more about it after than I did watching the thing. But before we go, so you heard earlier when Sasha said, I was an actor who really wanted their part, and I said, we gotta share that before you go. So, Sasha, do you want to read it, or do you want me to read it? Read it. Me read it? Okay. So, when Sasha was, how old were you? You were, you were 11. Same year. Huge year. Same year. So, this was something that, like, went quote-unquote viral within our friend group uh at chapman and it has since made a, a resurgence every like year it just comes up again um so this was something that we found on amazon and this was a review that sasha wrote april 21st 2002 of the harry potter <laughs> dvd um oh, let's go ha- First harry one? potter and the sorcerer's stone two, two disc special widescreen edition so um it's five stars and Harry Potter by Sasha Pat Patia. And it reads like this. This movie is fabulous. The sets were so real. The actors really wanted their parts and the product and the production was fantastic. No other movie could do such a better job. And it's all thanks to the brilliant author, JK Rowling. Little, little misunderstanding of how film works, but I love that you pointed out that the <laughs> sets were good first. That's excellent, especially at that age. Yeah. Like, yeah. I love set design and production shit. Like, that's my favorite shit. Yeah. But uh, you were way ahead of the curve there. You, like, for an 11-year-old, I would have thought, like, oh, I like the uh, story and... The uh, monsters. You know, isn't, yeah, the monsters and Harry's, uh, you know, such a heartthrob. But right to set design, that's fabulous. Right there. Yeah. Just like the movie. Fabulous. Absolutely. This was me trying to market myself because uh, prior to writing that review, I sent in a headshot to Fox Studios. <laughs> Try and be, I was like, well, I'm Indian, so I can play Parvati Patil. Ah, there you go. Sent in a, a, a picture my sister took on my IZOD camera. Do we remember this? They would yes. print. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So I sent in a picture literally like one inch by one inch. And with my... Um, with a letter, handwritten letter, saying why I should play in the movie. And then I wrote this review as part of my marketing in case they Googled me awesome. and could that I'm a true fan. That's amazing. And I just, I fucking love that the actors really wanted their parts. Yeah, that's... That's my, that's my favorite thing ever. Like, <laughs> I just think that is so funny. Um, well, Sasha, this was great. Thank you so much for coming on. You guys can follow... Yeah. You guys can follow Sasha on Instagram. Sasha, what's your Instagram handle? Just SashPat, S-A-S-H-P-A-T. Come at me. Yeah, come at her and check out SashaPatPatia.com for all your creative life coaching needs. Um, And so, Josie and the Pussycats, it's a soft no from Bear and I. It's a hard yes from Sasha. Um, If you disagree or agree shoot us an email stillgoodshow at gmail.com you can check out our website stillgoodshow.com or follow us on instagram at stillgoodshow um next week we will be discussing the disney channel original movie cadet kelly you're welcome no i'm tuning in i'm tuning in (laughs) we'll we'll get you we'll get you back for something yeah we'll get you back thanks a lot everybody for listening we'll see you next time thanks guys